Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. On this episode of Nevermind the Pain Points, Principal Consultant Tom Carpenter is joined by David Gallagher, the Director of Digital Products at Refinitiv, where they discuss the successful transformation of Refinitiv's self-serve experience. Enjoy the episode. Uh, so David, do you want to give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Um, what kind of roles have you done previous to the one you're doing now? What's your okay. background? Okay, yeah. So David Gallyhawk, Director of Digital Product for Refinitiv. Um, been at Reuters, come Thomson Reuters, come Refinitiv for about 12 years now. I've had various um, business analysts, functional architecture, change management, transformation roles. Also been involved in the product management side, now proposition management, and more latterly, yeah, overseeing our, our digital product owner team. So with a focus on our end-to-end customer lifecycle, actually. So from discover, evaluate, through to purchase, set up, use, and also endorse. So I, my team is very much focused on the end-to-end customer lifecycle and you know, driving digital through that process. Cool. So you started like really in the nuts and bolts of project delivery with your business analysis role, and now, yeah. you're, now you own the full transformation experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my background is much more that kind of BA type role and, yeah, yeah, but I've, I say I've, I've advanced over the years perhaps, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, tell us more about your current role. So, what's the remit of the okay. digital ecosystem, digital products? Okay, yeah, yeah. So, so as Director of Digital Product for Affinitive, so we're, you know, we're a $6 billion enterprise in the financial service market, um, pretty much dealing in a B2B environment with anywhere from a, a small hedge fund, retail bank, to like a tier one investment bank. And, and really our customers, partners, and potential prospects use digital to engage you know, with us to understand about our products and services. Um, and, and so initially we use our marketing site, so our .com site to promote our content, promote our services, promote our thought leadership content and, and blogs, uh, with a real aim really to kind of generate leads, opportunity generation. So that's the, that's the initial part and focus of the team. And then obviously once we have you as a customer, it's all about customer self-service. So you know, where do you go to pay your invoice or get help and support or you know, learn about changes in the market which may impact your products and services. Um, so, so the team really focused on those two areas, and then the other parts of the ecosystem is around like training, help and support, and also our developer community. So, you know, historically we've had different different parts of the organisation owning those top to bottom, really. So, you know, all, all with a, you know, all went through the correct processes in, in their silos. So, you know, working with a UX approach, you know, getting customer validation, you know, b- building those with. You know, for that for that particular lane, the best in breed kind of UX. But but what we missed was joining those things up. So you know, if you if you're a prospect who was maybe you know a purchaser in your organisation, but a developer, you're actually straddling straddling two different digital properties. So the digital ecosystem ethos and vision is to really bring that together. So to have .com, Refinitiv.com as as the front door to a, to everything we do from discover, evaluate, set up, and purchase. And then my Refinitiv becomes the authenticated space that sits behind that. Um, which will give you a personalized experience based on your your products, your your, your role in your organization and the life cycle of products. So if you're a developer and you log into that experience, you'll see, you know, sandboxes and APIs and user guides. If you're if you're a bill payer and you authenticate with the experience, you'll see your invoicing and quick quick ways to pay invoices, those sorts of things. So the ecosystem is really about bringing together all of our digital touch points into a common infrastructure layer. 
uh, with a common component library, a common UI, UX framework, you know, wrapped around a nice global navigation as well. So you've kind of got the setup now for a complete customer experience in, in one team, right? Before you had lots of siloed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and our team has actually kind of grown through, you know, almost internal acquisition of different teams. So again, mm -hmm. we had different owners owning different facets. My, my background was actually the self-service element, so what was previously my account. Um, but yes, you're right. Our, our team has now grown and pivoted to really do the, um, the strategy planning and execution for the entire digital ecosystem. We've seen huge positive impacts of having an end-to-end -end, uh, customer experience kind of transformation vehicle uh, in delivering incre increased revenue, increased retention, increased margin. Basically, if you're not focusing on customer experience now, you're going to be left behind. So I think it's, it's cool that Refinitiv, with your leadership, are in a position that they can do that now. Um, something which a lot of our clients do struggle with, though, is kind of getting started and actually delivering mm. elements of an end-to-end -end experience. Uh, how did you... How have you kicked things off with with merging all yeah. of these different bits together? Um, okay, so so reflection. So we're now in sprint forty six or forty seven, um, and we've been, we've been doing two week sprints for that duration. So we're we're, we're a couple of years in now, um, and yeah. But if I go back to two years ago when we were starting out, um, obviously the ecosystem didn't start as an execution or delivery program. It started as a vision. So, um, you know, we, we had our own internal ideas around the ecosystem. We felt, you know, internally it made sense. But the initial play before getting anywhere near development was the strategy and concepting phase. So we actually uh, engaged a UX partner. At the time, a lot of our internal UX teams who we now work with on the ecosystem were otherwise engaged in some of our, you know, our product UX space because, as, as you'll find out, we like to sort of cross-breed UX across proposition and our, our web digital space as well. So, so we engaged a, a UX agency to to come in and, and not really get into kind of user journey mapping. We didn't we didn't really have the time or the appetite to come up with you know a thing that you stuck on the wall at that t time. It wasn't really an indication to do an overall service blueprint. We we did, we had some existing digital properties, you know, and, and what we could see from our customer feedback around those was the features we had was that were actually about right. So we weren't getting feedback, oh, you know, I wish I could do X in your site. It was more around the usability of the site, the user experience of the site. So we actually tasked that agency with taking our existing capabilities and, and we used a lot of the web analytics that we had. So we, we knew within our site, our footfall on our site, let's say there was 100,000 page views a month, like 50,000 was features ABC. So we very much focused them around some high value, high volume features, you know, set them the remit to reimagine that experience. And also at the time looking at the Thomson Reuters brand as we were then. So really taking in some of our, you know, our brand, our values, and, and really how we were looking to go to market as a company then. And then we used that quite quickly internally to get to gain buy-in. So, you know, it was a time when there was a, a lot of um, reprioritization going on within the program and project portfolio. You know, a lot of people were turning up to the CIO, COO with PowerPoints, and we turned up with a clickable prototype. So we, we quite quickly turned a few heads, actually, in, in, in terms of that approach. And unsurprisingly, we got significant buy-in. So what became quite a small, you know, little kind of splinter, that initial kind of concepting phase, you know, we, we demonstrated you gave us not very much money, actually, in the grand scheme of things, and we've delivered X, and it was a vision that, you know, stakeholders loved, our CIO loved. We took it to customers and got some, you know, some really good sound bites and, and 
and you know some good value proposition messaging around what we were doing and then the program pretty much spawned from there so so we used that phase to then gain in incremental funding to go after a slice of the ecosystem so if i think about what we're doing now you know which is across our marketing our blog sites our self-service sites our support sites our billing sites you know it was a very small slither we literally went after a couple of key features and, and we built an mvp around that so um so start small get, get something out there that's clickable playable can really show and you think that's how you build yeah tangible build I mean, the there, was, there was no requirements doc at that point there was no you know there was there, you know we we kind of went visual first and then yeah, as we got into the delivery flow obviously we then drilled down so it was probably like a 10 screen you know clickable prototype that became 200 ux des designs across three different breakpoints across mobile and all of those things but um yeah it was that kind of visual up front and and yeah just moving fast and, and not holding back you know, to come up with a complete program or a project plan or a list of requirements, it gave it gave us the buy-in to move. And then as we moved into execution, um, working in an agile way, you know, again, the remit was, let's just cut any bit of code very, very soon. And I remember I still got the email that went up the organization. It was the hello world moment for my, what was then my TR. And it was a terrible screen. It looked, it looked nothing like the, uh, you know, the UX. It looked nothing like what the, what the site, my affinitive, then, then, then came to be. But yeah, so that, that first cut of code, you know, working with the team and then really uh, our team, what then became the product owner team, working very collaboratively with, you know, with our development organization and our UX partners working in an agile way just to kind of just build this thing. And it, and it, 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 it really felt like it snowballed in terms of the buy-in, in terms of the remit. And then we went from MVP, to, oh, let's talk about that, but the trajectory two years on to, you know, the, the, the same team growing and their remit growing to, to transform all of digital. No, not just, just support. Yeah, I think that's a good lesson. So it's basically like be vulnerable, get some stuff out there, get oh. some feedback. Like a lot of organizations talk about quick feedback, working in an agile way, but I've really seen it on this project with you about just getting stuff out there, even though you know it's not perfect and you can learn from it and build on it. And that's been incredibly successful, I think. Yeah, and, and I love that personally. I don't know why, it's just me. I, I, I love that risk. Not, not a risk, because everything we show... Well, okay, what, what's the one thing you don't do? Never share anything that you can never deliver. I mean, and th there's always, as a colleague of mine talks about, the catwalk <laughs> approach. So, you know, if you go to a fashion show, you know, you, you see the absolute most immaculate form of what you could ever appreciate. And the reality is most people never buy that dress or they never, you know, quite, quite realize that. But they probably go to Marks and Spencer's and they buy something that looks a little bit like it. So it's about inspiration sometimes. So sometimes we, we do kind of push ideas and concepts out there. I think when you're dealing with, you know, your, your project team or you're dealing with really close stakeholders, that, that can undermine you if you start... If you, if you blue sky think too much, you kind of lose credibility. So it's kind of finding that balance between that initial visioning where you need to shoot for the stars, be technology agnostic, you know, don't start, oh, but we use this billing system. Forget that. You need, you need to kind of look beyond that early on and don't be technology-led. But then as you start to move through the project, you need to kind of, yeah, become a little bit more realistic and manage expectations. But again, we, we continue to put things in front of customers that, uh, you know, are there to provoke the reaction and to really reassert the strategy. And you can't you can't change direction on the strategy if you just kind of stay safe and just show them a little increment of what you're doing. You're not learning there. So, yeah, the idea of yeah really challenging your current idiom and and, and processes, I think, is quite key. Agreed. And I think also you were smart in what you targeted first. So looking at um, the. The, the UI, the look and feel initially, and then working on some of the more complex features of personalization, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, is another great tip. 
what do you think the biggest challenge was in starting off? So you had your UX um, designs. So I think the challenge was the culture <clears throat> and every other project that had gone before. And, you know, there's been a lot of big transformation programs, not just here, but, you know, that don't quite meet their initial objectives and vision. And actually the vision that we, we had and have still is, is big. It, was, it wasn't small, but we actually, we didn't even play the ecosystem card in our first year. So, you know, we had a few sort of secret conversations, if you like, well, in secret, but, you know, between the owners, we knew that's where we wanted to go. But we actually bled some of the story out. So, so we only really started talking around the overall ecosystem vision. So not just our self-service sites, but our billing sites and our support sites and our marketing site. I mean, if we'd have come out with that slide early on, everyone would have gone, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You're that's, that's, that's a three-year program. It's going to fail. It's going to be a waterfall project. So actually, sometimes it's, it's, it's knowing what to release internally. Um, and, and, yeah, the scale we're operating at now, we're probably 20 or 30 times the size of the team we started with. Um, but we didn't have that. We didn't have that in a business case. It wasn't like we need another twenty or thirty. Well, we need, we need hundred people actually to go and deliver this thing. Um, you know, we started small. We, we we demonstrated, you know, what that team could do. Um, and then you're right. Yeah, that just kind of led into the overall kind of vision and project. And for Affinitiv, this is one of the first times they were doing agile at this kind of scale as well. Mm. Right? Did you have any challenges? You spoke about culture being the challenge. Of yes. Doing yeah, I think. Okay, so yeah, I mean. We tried agile. We tried agile twelve years ago when I first joined. So it was like, it was like I was like I was doing agile when it wasn't cool actually because we, we were doing it back in the day. But it, yeah, it, ne it never really kind of cemented um, in in the organization. And um, the the challenge there is you've got your execs that don't want to think agile. Obviously, you know a business outcome for them isn't something you'll do in two weeks, which is agile, which we can talk about. You know, product owner will go, it's awesome, we added a button this week. That, that was my goal and I've done it. You know, from an exec perspective, they're, they're longer term goals. You know, they're six months, they're 12 month goals. So the, the challenge we had was taking a lot of the agile project delivery um, and aggregating that and normalizing that and reporting that back up to an exec community in a way that, you know, gave them what they needed to give us the investment. Um, so actually it was a bit of a complication and actually a time-consuming exercise. Um, so we actually stopped doing the status reports and we kept going back to them with code. Again, so we were having these like, round-robin kind of you know, corporate calls where everyone was showing their two or three slides. And we were like, can we just show you what we did the last two or three weeks? So we actually challenged their thinking of, of what was seen as a success. Um, and, and I remember one of our exec sponsors we were on a, we were visiting one of our delivery partners and he started talking about like agile velocity and i looked at my boss and we just chuckled like this is a guy that you know was like old school waterfall and he's like oh, you know how's your velocity going guys so we actually started to change the, the mindset and, and the way people i guess assessed what we were doing and i think you know as, as is an agile it's about empowerment of team and, and they actually then started to empower us so it was less about let's see your six month roadmap it was just you know how's your velocity going so, so, so they became less focused on the features we were building, more about how we were optimizing it and running the team. So, yeah. And I guess when you're showing them something tangible and you ask for more funding, he knows that gives you more velocity and he can see the fruits of that immediately in the quantity of yeah, change yeah, yeah. you're showing, right? Yeah, yeah. And Not I think... a number on a report. Yeah, yeah. And, and against a backdrop of other non-agile programs in the organization, which have struggled in that time. So now it's like, you know, how do we cookie cut that? So I think we've got about 13 scrum teams at the moment. 
you know, we started with one. And that's the other thing when you start. Don't, don't just go and hire 12 scrum teams and think you'll be awesome. You know, you have to, you have to start small, start with, you know, one or two product owners, one or two scrum teams. Um, and then as you start to optimize their performance, you can look to bring on additional scrum teams, but always accept, you know, when you bring on a new team, don't rush it. It would probably take two to three months to get them up and running and performing. And again, we learned that. I think at the start, we just thought, okay, we, we're awesome with three scrums. Let's add three more. Um, so I think you need to give the time, the team time to you know, understand the area that they're moving in because we actually focus our scrums on capabilities. So we have like one scrum team that looks at the marketing side. We have another two or three scrum teams looking at help and support. So I think it's important to have them focus on a capability area um, and have the right cross-functional skills within the team to go and execute. Why do you think that is? Well, first, we don't tread on each other's toes, even from a stakeholder perspective. And I'm seeing it in another project that which we're initiating now where we're trying to re reassert Agile as the way to go. The last thing stakeholders need is like three or four people coming at them. So, you know, in the business, there is a business owner of the help desk. You know, so actually building our, our projects and our teams around that makes sense from their perspective. Um, and then you start to talk their language from a business outcome perspective. If you have teams that are like focused on horizontal, so like we, we are the middleware team, stakeholders don't really care about that. So I think it, it, it builds the competency, it builds the, the expertise, plus you start to pivot your objectives to the actual business KPIs. So the KPI in the business is around you know, case deflection. So you know, we, every business wants to use digital to stop people picking up the phone or raising a case. Um, having a team that, that's focused around that and understands the goals of our, of our business partners enables them to actually come up with solutions that we're doing right now that are, are not requirements coming from the business, but there are things that the team are ideating based on their appreciation of the outcome. So, yeah, I think it does, it, it, it drives the alignment and also builds the trust and credibility to create the empowerment. Agreed. I think as well, it also empowers the team to, to own certain areas. Yeah. They're not having to cross-check, which is like one of the main successes of agile when you get it working is the team are independent yeah uh, cross-functional yeah they're right dependent it hurts earlier on actually we had we did have two teams you know doing help and support you know we had a stakeholder dealing with two teams the two teams were doing different things so yeah you need to have a capability area and ownership and then the way that when we aggregate that is we then have what we call lead product owners which have a, a portfolio of capabilities so one of our leads has ai help and support and training so that's, that feels like a nice grouping. Somebody else has notification billings and correspondence. Somebody else has marketing and blogs. So we, we tend to group things um, that align to our, to our business partners. Yeah. yeah, and I think you've also grouped them in a way where it's the same kind of customer need at that time as well. Like you're in purchasing evaluate, right? Or mm. yeah, you, you need some help training support. You're in the same kind of mindset from a customer. So yeah, it yeah. means you get a consistent experience there, which is, which is good. But then what I would say as well is, we're agile in our structure, much to my team would say. Um, we're forever recutting the product owners, you know, their focus areas, you know, based on the overall business objectives now. And I think doing what we were doing now, probably a few years ago, would have been like five or six different projects. You know, it would have been like the project working on the support function or the project working on the marketing side. But, you know, we just, we're just a demand an execution vehicle now for, for the business. So they can come to us with their, their challenges, their KPIs. We obviously have a view of the technology priorities. And then we then really develop and maintain that digital strategy and roadmap with our stakeholders. And we talked at the start about how uh, you got going initially. Um, mm. We didn't talk about how uh, quickly you got that MVP out, which I think is quite impressive. So from the initial design through to your MVP, how long would that take? Yeah, so we had, we gave ourselves eight sprints 
So 16 weeks? 16 weeks. Um, and, and the, you know, that wasn't 16 weeks to migrate the entire site. But, you know, we what we said is, you know, we had three teams. Let's, we got 16 weeks. Let's just go after something and try and do it really, really well, accepting we'll keep refining it. Case in point, that capability that we went live with, we did a release of it again last weekend. So two years on, we're not done with it. We're never done with it. And again, that was the Razor case and so help and support function. And, and we got another release next month with some AI capability going in it. So we, we, except you're never done. Um, I think we were quite brave initially. Again, with the organization, it, typically it would have been, okay, you have this existing self-service portal. It does these 100 things and it's got 25,000 users. You know, let's, let's spend the next two years building all of that functionality and then give it to them. We said no. We're gonna we're gonna go live with like I think it was like five percent of the feature set to like one percent of the target base. You had a breadth of features though, didn't you? Yeah, so yeah, you yeah, had yeah. like kind of your, your basic support forms, but you had your top five invoices. So it wasn't like you just did one function. You went for a Oh yeah, yeah, no, you're right. End, yeah, we, you? we, 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 we did, yeah. I mean but it was still there were some things we didn't do. And a lot of people, naysayers, saying, well, you can't go live because of X, Y, Z. And, and actually, the reason we did is, and it's part of our customer research phase, you know, we said to them, look, we probably can't fix all of your problems overnight, but if we can make this one area a little bit better, you know, would you, for a period of time, live jumping between an old and a new experience? And they were like, yes. And I would be the same. Like, it's happened with my mobile phone app still. It's like... Um, it's been, you know, some points of that app, it still takes me into a legacy website or experience. And I accept that as a user of that because, do you know what, they made actually viewing my statements and actually making some payments a bit easier. So, um, and again, we had that challenge more internally than with customers. Um, and, and doing that as part of that initial launch, we had quite a controlled beta phase, actually. So we only had 20 customers and we, we used an online task-driven sort of research capability. So, you know, we actually sort of worked with them as close partners to, to log in every day. You know, we gave them a set of tasks to execute, like try, now try and raise a case, now try and view your invoice. Um, we got a lot of, you know, qualitative feedback in the initial few weeks that has actually set the course for a lot of other things that we've done since. So I, I would say on the research, it's one thing in that initial three months, we had multifaceted approach. So we had the strategy and concepting up front. We had that kind of beta testing or the guerrilla testing phase. And then in between that, we had some you know, usability testing of some actual screens. And we, and we, st we still implore those, those three areas of research today. So it's not just around you know, create, create a design and, and usability test it with a customer. Um, you know, we're, st we're constantly evolving some of that strategy and concepting thinking as well. Yeah, and that's kind of twofold, isn't it? How you silence the naysayers to say, well, this is what the customer says. And also it gives you a prioritization decision on what to focus on, depending mm. on what the customers are, are shouting about as well. So I think that's a good approach. Yeah, you're right. You're right, actually. It's, it's a really good point because, you know, you've got the conflicting interest internally from how they should do it. But, yeah, five customers saying do it. If, if like, person wants to do it this way, or way A, way B, way C, if the customer says, well, just do it way D, Done. Thank you. Slam dunk. Donk. It kind of just it nips that in the bud in terms of you know the internal challenge. Or you know we, we try A, B, and C, and then we we use the web analytics, or we use the footfall on the site, or we use qualitative research or qual surveys to actually get feedback to optimize it. See, and the difference here is, you know, we say we're just going to put something out there and learn. And so we we didn't say we're done in 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 those what was it the, the first sixteen weeks, um, and the fact that we still iterate parts of that experience that we started with early in the day shows that. Um, and you know, we never would have cut, the stuff we're doing now, we, ne we never had that as a requirement two years ago. You know, we, ne we never knew then, actually, 
what we should be doing is what we're actually doing now. And that's what I love about the approach that we took, that we've actually learned throughout the journey. So you know, we don't really have the naysayers now. I mean, I was saying about, you know, you stop listening, you don't. They, they, they do stop raising those points because their, their requirement is, is, has been met and some now by the things we're doing today. So they can look at what we're doing today and go, well, it doesn't meet the requirement. It's like, well, it kind of does, but it does these 50 other things as well. And you know what? Some of those people have come along the journey now. You know, they, they, they are coming around to that kind of agile approach of, you know, give us an outcome, let us go away, we do some concepting, we do some customer testing, you know, we'll bring it back to you for some input, and then we'll go and build it and test it with customers. You know, I think something that's very challenging in a large organization uh, like Refinitiv, but particularly based in financial services, is a certain amount of sign-off and governance. And you've almost got around that by being the voice of a customer. Right, so you don't have to go through that kind of heavy governance process. Correct. Yeah, I mean, we still have the technical governance, as you know, so we still have that. But from a, yeah, I think p- part of the uh, the creation of our digital team really is about creating product owners who can be that single voice into you know the architecture team, the UX team, and and, and the delivery team. You know, and and they take a multitude of inputs from from our stakeholders, from KPI owners, from from customers. And they're ultimately empowered to sort of mash all of that up and then give give the clear direction to their scrum team on the next best thing that they should do. Cool. Um, we talked a little bit about this, about how you showed the stakeholders, sponsors, what you were doing. Uh, was there anything particular that you measured? Like how did you show the uh, board they were getting value for money for their investment? You measure anything particularly? Okay, yeah. I mean, so in, in digital, I mean, there are, some, there are some hero KPI metrics that that we have, um, you know, things like you know, page views. So how many pe- how many view- <laughs> pages are being viewed on the site? Uh, in in self-service, it's around task completion as well. So it's not about a customer just logging into your authenticated space. It's about them actually doing something tangible like viewing an invoice or you know, looking at an FAQ, um, watching a training video. So a lot of what we were doing in the early days was actually using the, the 20 beta customers and sort of prorating their usage. So after the first two weeks of, of going live, which is four months after the original visioning, you know, th- th- they, each of those people were spending more time on the new site. They were completing more times pro rata. So we were actually saying, okay, right, if we continue on this trajectory. We're actually going to like double the number of tasks completed online this year. So we actually, we actually quickly painted a projected picture. And actually, we've, we've, we've gone beyond that. So as, as, we've, as we've grown the features, we've seen even more an accelerator effect. So, uh, you know, it's all about year on year, really. I think in... in digital like any part of um, a customer experience you can look in isolation for a week and go it's awesome or it's bad but it's that kind of looking at your business cycles is it a quarterly cycle is it an annual cycle and then doing the year-on-year comparison so yeah we're constantly looking back and and baselining and rebaselining it's it's about kpis ultimately Um, so yeah i remember that first kind of you know whatever that first cao session after that um, yeah taking a screenshot of of the new site and just doing that projection around the, the usage and they were like carry on uh, so the new site, pretty much the self-service element, has the same functionality as the old now. Do you know roughly what kind of gains in page views, time on site, number of tasks, percentage-wise? What are, what are you looking at? Do you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think for me that the big one is is task completion. So I think in in two, 2017, we had about a million tasks completed online. They're like tangible tasks. And we're tracking probably 2.5 million this year. Amazing. So I mean that's you know, and that and that from a uh, an exec perspective, 
and I won't go into our, our, our maths and science behind the scenes, but you can ultimately attribute a task completed online to a productivity saving within your organization. And you can monetize each of those tasks, and then you times that, that dollar value against a task by the number of tasks completed, and it gives you your productivity saving. And then there are other things in terms of lead generation. So you know, our, our legacy customer self-service experience, we, we hadn't really created you know, communities where we could cross-sell and upsell to. Um, we're now generating leads, we're generating revenues, we're generating trials. Um, so that's helped with the positioning with our, with our frontline sales. So, you know, the, the, previously it was like it was a, an online admin thing that wasn't really part of the value proposition for Refinitiv. But now as part of, you know, taking one of our products, we're actually positioning, you know, digital as part of that experience. I myself have been involved in some, you know, con customer contract renegotiations and we're, we're, we're trying to position digital as part of the value proposition now going forward. So, yeah, I think it's the generation of leads. So really digital, it's about, you know, task deflection. And for us, the other hero KPIs are our lead generation and customer experience. So, you know, we, 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 we do qual surveys, we've, we did baseline surveys with a lot of our legacy, our customers on our legacy site, and then we go back to a population of those and do a comparison. Um, so in terms of people that were happy, you know, rated our, our self-service experience seven to 10, I think in, in three years ago, it was around 45%. And then uh, last year, it was 56%, so that was 11% gain. Um, and this year it's tracking in the 60s. So, so that's amazing. Yeah, and that's not through doing anything too complicated, really, is it? Like we've cleaned up the customer experience, we've made it smoother, it's more visual, it's easier to navigate, uh, it's personalized, which we'll get onto in a second yeah. as well. But we haven't done anything uh, fundamental behind the scenes, which a lot of organizations, right, would be, they'd be ripping out their CRM solutions, they'd be changing their billing mm. solutions. We haven't touched that, right? We've looked at the front end experience Correct. in order to achieve that, which is an amazing. Yeah, and, and that, you know, is, is a really good point. And um, I think that that's, again, how we changed the, the thinking of the organization. Yeah, you're right. It was always like, okay, we have to change our billing system, we have to change our ERP or our CRM systems. But, you know, we, we didn't, we didn't want to wait for that. Um, and we felt we could deliver a richer customer experience online. Um, I mean, yes, we have looked at some of the plumbing and we have made some, you know, positive consequential changes to some of those systems. But, yeah, it's, it's the one or two percent of the overall delivery. You know, 98 percent is about the front end. And, um, yeah, like look, also looking at some of the data in the background as well. I mean, we, we, we've made changes and looked at things like data quality and, and things where we needed to do that. Um, but what I loved is we were given the remit to just truly try and optimize the customer experience. And um, yeah, that's been fun. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about personalization. Uh, what kinds of things have we done to build a personalized experience for the customers on MyRefinitive? Yeah, I, I think for us, I think we were quite far behind in terms of personalization to start with. Um, so some of the things that we did, you know, would maybe be an expectation of a customer today, but to, to kind of paint the picture for that, you know, like we, we never really closed the loop on showing a customer when they authenticated in our experience the products that they had. You know, we didn't do a very good job of that, um, and and giving them things like okay, for the products which you consume, these are these are the changes, the alerts, the notifications which are more relevant to you. These are relevant upgrades for the services which you take. So for us, it was around giving giving the customer more confidence that when they authenticated with us, you know, we knew who they were and we gave them quick access to, to the tasks and the content 
and capabilities which were most relevant for them as a customer. So, yeah, I think we, we spent a lot of time you know, actually in the background, say, joining some of those dots. And, and again, you know, sort of building building that complete view of the customer, which allows them to, to sort of get that personalized experience online. Yeah, I think that's a common problem. There's probably lots of clever things you can do in the front end to personalize, but if you don't have the data to back it up and you really understand the customer, yeah, uh, yeah. it's challenging to do that. So uh, uh, that was a difficult starting point for us, wasn't it? And trying to understand what the customer did, what they accessed. Yeah, it was. And... and you know, everyone was like, oh, you need, an, you need a customer master to do it, or enterprise customer master. You need an enterprise product master. You need an enterprise taxonomy to do these things, which are some of those things that, as someone that's looking at it from a journey perspective and experience perspective, when people come to me and say, like, we need a product master, what does that mean? Like, what, what, what use cases are you trying to solve here? So, you know, and, and actually as part of this project, we've actually started to build a product master. Because you know we had some user journey who said, you know, I want to log into your experience. And I want to see the products you have, and I want you, based on that, to actually try and sell me something or recommend other content or products which I need. So to do that, we had to, in the background, start linking the marketing view of product with our contracted and build view of the product. So we, and 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 also in our training site, what their view of the product was. So we've actually, by virtue of doing the experience, we now are pivoting to an enterprise taxonomy because we had to have common ways of tagging content across those different systems to bring that experience to life. You know, we we now are pivoting to an enterprise customer master because we needed a single view of a customer across all of those different systems. And we've kind of built a product master in some respects as virtue of this project. So, yeah, it's funny, those, those things which probably I used to be dismissive of needing, we've actually kind of done, but as, as, a, as a part of a, a CX transformation, I hear about organizations saying we need to go and build a product master. Yes, but why? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So instead of kind of going up front and doing a three-month investigation into your product mastering, you've joined spreadsheets together. No spreadsheets. How, yeah. it, how it comes. Yeah, so. that was it. It was like, how do we make it work? So, we, again, we, we did that. At the time, it was like, you can't do that. But, well, I think the concern internally was if we did that, it was something that was just for the digital domain. Um, you know, which we are cognizant of. So we, you know, we've worked with those stakeholders and partners internally to do that. But um, what 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 started very small as this little kind of product mapping tool that basically pulled together our CRM systems, our billing systems, and our our legacy marketing sites is now becoming a strategic product master almost internally. So you know, we're now looking to leverage it for other other projects, other capabilities. Um, and yeah, it's one of those kind of byproducts of the project that we didn't we didn't anticipate that from the start so there's one thing that said what weren't you expecting i, d I wasn't expecting that um but uh, it's been a positive output it's a kind of leading the way in solving a complicated problem isn't it you've come up with a solution and others have struggled so it's yeah. kind of testament to the ways of working in the agile teams yeah and, and we've incremented that. that based on the use case so now now we're going okay cool now, now we can actually show customers the products that they have you know if I now want to show them notifications that impact their products, and that has a different product hierarchy, we've now, in an agile way, extended our product model to do that. So, yeah, it's very much use case driven. Have you seen any other challenges around personalization? Things that you've tried and you wouldn't, that haven't been so successful or you wouldn't uh, recommend to others to try? One area of the site is, you know, we, we try and serve up good recommendations based on your geography and your products for things like events which may be happening near you or you know a thought leadership paper that's happening or 
you know, this is a great LinkedIn article that our CEO is talking about right now. So it's not so much the technology, it's the process to keep that content current. Yeah, so the, the Nirvana is AI. So there's this clever robot that's going to go, oh, okay, th this is somewhere else in the ecosystem and it's tagged correctly and I'm going to present it. So actually to, to, to give some of that personalized experience around some of our other assets and, 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 and content, you know, we do have a team that needs to do that and stay on top of that. So I think it's a challenge to, to keep that fresh um, so it continues to bring people back into your site to do the other things which you want to do is for them to do task completion and cross-sell and upsell to them. So, yeah, I think that's probably an area where we'll, we'll need to invest more, I think, in the future to automate some of that and looking at some of the AI tools out there to sort of enable us to keep that content fresh and also the taxonomy. So the people that were coming to me and saying that we needed a taxonomy to, to help with things like that, you know, again, I'm someone that is understanding why now from a CX perspective that we need to invest in some of those areas. So, yeah, I think they're definitely areas that we'll look to work on in the future. And you're doing some quite interesting things with AI and your self-service content, aren't you? Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's a new play for us. Again, you know, like I think um, and the team's really excited and energized about it. But again, we're looking to move away again from, you know, someone in our organization maybe running a report of the core reasoning and looking at, you know, the top 50 reasons why a, a case gets raised online and then actually looking through our knowledge base and identifying, you know, articles or FAQs which help solve that query. So we've now built AI, which is looking at closed cases. So it looks at the, the reasons that, you know, why we closed the case. It identifies if there were any FAQs or, or artifacts or articles which were used to close that case. And then as, a, as the next customer comes online and starts typing their query, you know, which would be maybe not verbatim quote, but using some of the kind of natural language search that we're now introducing as well. You know, the AI goes, oh, okay, well, this is similar to this query, and that was solved by this particular article, so it starts presenting it. So, yeah, we're, we're starting to use some of that kind of, you know, learning about what customers are doing and then using that to promote content. So, again, that's a good example of where we're not, we don't have somebody sitting in the middle now and sort of doing the math and joining the dots. We're actually doing that kind of on the fly, so that's, yeah, a new play for us. Yeah, I think that's a good example as well as you could have defined that as part of your MVP to do this incredible, like we don't need any intervention from our, our service desk to go straight to AI, but you didn't. You gradually iterated the experience to get to this point. Um, yeah, you're right, because the FAQs were there. Yeah, It's just that as you, as you were typing, it wasn't doing anything. But what did we learn through that? We actually learned through about five iterations the best place on a page to put an FAQ. So now, now we've optimized that UX, um, now having a clever engine that sits behind it to, you know, to, to, to recommend the appropriate content, you know, we'll, we'll learn more now because, you know, if, if the uptake of that isn't very successful, you know, we, we feel like we've been through the journey of optimizing the UX, so is it, is it the AI? So again, you know, we, we've got a good base now to test some of these things, but you're right, we never, we ne we ne well, I don't think we dreamed at the, at the start that we would get the platform and, and you know, the, the buy-in to continue exploring those, those even more innovative ways of, of solving problems. Absolutely. Uh, so for me personally, this is one of the most enjoyable projects I've worked on. I think part of that was the kind of culture um, and the atmosphere in the teams. Um, if you were to give your counterpart in another organization advice on how to set up uh, a similar culture, what would you say? So it's a hard question. <laughs> it's like sometimes... That's what I'm and, like, you know, Yeah, no, no, it is, but... Um, and and I and I'll and I'll talk about it. But again, for me, this is a career highlight. I think like the way that we've we've been given the remit of the organisation and we we've scaled our team, 
and we've taken more ownership. Um, and actually, I think empowerment, if I talk about empowerment, I think it's probably that, because I, I personally feel more empowered and that's how I think we've worked with the team as well. Um, and I, and I've, I personally changed throughout this process. I think I've, I've, I was someone that, you know, from a product management perspective, you know, I was, I need the orange button there. You know, it has to be orange and it has to be over there. I remember those days. Yeah, so. you remember those days, <laughs> yeah. It has to be there on the screen. Um, but you know what, actually having trust in the team and, and trust in the process, um, I think as a product manager or you know, now come product director, you know, your, your, your focus and remit is more features, move faster, build things faster. But I've actually learned to, pre to let the process play out and um, yeah, actually trust and empower the team. And I think actually having some of the teams co-located, co which isn't always a luxury in this day and age, has helped. But it hasn't been the be all and end all. So I think we, you know, we try to create communities and, co and hubs around the globe. So you know, putting the people in London together, putting the people in India together, putting the people in New York together. Um, but if you to ask, it's a hard question to answer because I just think we we, we got lucky with the right mix of people um, as well. I just think it's one of those those projects. But I think I mean, I'll ask you actually, how do, how do you feel we created the culture? I agree with the empowerment point. I think everyone feels a kind of sense of purpose to achieve something. Okay. And we, we've used this word quite a lot throughout our pivot, but we've changed what we've focused on a lot. And each time that's given the team kind of a new area of excitement or focus. Yeah. So we had the rebranding exercise. Uh, we've now switched to a kind of digital ecosystem. We switched to more of a componentized way of working. And each of those times it's given the team this kind of new emphasis. So I think there's definitely a sense of purpose. Um, I think as well, seeing the success of the program, um, yourself and Richard and others, senior leadership are fantastic in celebrating the successes of the team. The awards that we've won in the program throughout, I think, although seem superficial to some, are incredibly motivating and everyone gets very excited about it and the whole team takes photos think superficial. with the awards. I think, yeah. no, no, I think, no, I think, I think getting recognition from the industry and from peers for the things you're doing is... Um, yeah, I think I think it's great, and yeah, we know we have. We, you're right. So we we do take the time to celebrate, and over celebrate sometimes to our detriment to our, our peers of other projects. <laughs> I think when they think we're doing it, but um, yeah, I I I think we're just very fortunate to work with some very talented people, and we're all equally passionate about you know actually transforming the experience. And I think if you look at even some of the awards, not to, to labour how they've changed. So originally it was around product design. And, and oh, you did a really good UX thing, but now it's about CX. So it's about you know winning the UK Customer Experience Award for you know international business or engagement online. Those those sorts of things that we're moving to now. So I think I think we we've we've pivoted how we see ourselves and our team. And even though we are ultimately you know we're building capabilities, you know we're building digital capabilities. That that's what we're doing. Our our, our focus and lens is not doing it for the sake of doing it, but doing it to actually deliver tangible growth in KPIs and one of those hero KPIs for us is the customer experience. Um, the slightly harder question, if you were to do something differently in retrospects, what do you think some lessons that you've okay, learned? Okay, yeah, so I, I think um, there's that, like, you know, the Fred Flintstone thing when he used to run in the, his car, in the car with his feet spinning. You're too young, that's fine, that's fine. Okay, there was <laughs> no, this, no, this cartoon called Fred Flintstone. Where he's like, I, I kind of felt like we got, uh, after our initial success and in the beta and then the organization went, scale it how do we scale this even faster now like we, we we dropped off like we we had that kind of 
we, we, we were small and we moved very fast and we demonstrated value. And then when they said, right, okay, that's three scrums, now have another three scrums. I mean, we've got like 30 now, so we've got there. You know, we, 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 we tried to scale it too fast. I think so through through probably that the quarter after that initial MVP, we, we saw we basically started to maybe not hit the expectations of our leaders because, you know, we were taking time for those additional scrum teams, those additional teams to form. And I think I probably didn't appreciate that much myself. And I think we were constantly then pushing. So as, as, as the teams then started focusing on feature build, not quality, we then saw a dip in quality. So I think, you know, and I think we learned pretty early on that, you know, each, we need to empower each of the teams to have the right balance between, you know, building new features, migrating features, and also also having that focus around quality as well. So I think that that for me kind of dipped off because we tried to we tried to scale things a little bit too soon. Um, other than that, I think there's there's a bit internally. I think we're, we're still we're still doing a we're still on the journey of, I guess, helping the organization try and cookie cut what we're doing as well. So I think I think that that's part of it. It's and it's it's bringing and and helping some of those kind of sister and sibling projects, you know, follow a similar ethos. You know, we are doing that. So like we're pivoting, you know, the UX team which started on digital, we're now pivoting them internally. So they're now working on our, our quote to cash transformation. They're working on our new, you know, corporate intranet. So I think we are, we are trying to sort of scale horizontally by taking some of those resources. And, and focus them on new areas and then recycle some other talent from the organization back into our team. So. I think something which um, maybe we could have done better is some of our external dependencies. Like It's difficult to impact or reflect other projects' ways of working. Mm. Um, but as you said, like yeah, trying to transcend it throughout the organization. So like a lot of our limitations were on the way um, the sales uh, CRM team deployed or the billing teams deployed yeah. and we we got into a lot of kind of trap situations with them somehow so trying to preempt some of that I think would have helped us as well particularly around the time we scaled working with different integrations with other systems as well that was part of the reason that we slowed during that time yeah you're right I mean it felt awesome because it felt like relatively we were moving really fast but I guess the our ecosystem the refinitive ecosystem the digital ecosystem yeah we, we weren't probably right as cognizant of of, of the impacts to that and you say right aligning just things like the releases and some of the the comms certainly to our frontline like sales teams for instance you know we were kind of you know we were banging the great drum about the digital transformation but probably not as cognizant of some of the other things which are impacting them around the workplace transformation and things like that so yeah i think that's fair do you have any external influences do you think on the way you've done things is there anything you'd recommend that our listeners read or anything you've you've seen viewed read looked at you think has changed how you've how we've delivered it there's a few quotes that have probably in, inspired me i think some you know I'm a, I'm a product manager at heart and i think and i fortunate enough to lead a team of product managers um i think one of them is the henry ford quote which i often quote to the team is you know if he asked his customers what they'd wanted they would have said faster horses <laughs> i think that's one it's like sometimes yeah the customer's right but part of your role as the product manager is to listen to what they're saying or, or understand their pain points. Don't ask them what they want. Understand the pain. Because he was like, no, you don't need faster horses. You just want to go faster. I'm going to build a car. So it's that kind of ethos. It's like you need to really understand um, the pain points that you're trying to solve. Mm. So understand the outcome they want and then innovate yeah. around the solution. And then the second is ask forgive forgiveness, not permission. And, and and that for me is one 
um, which I think does empower the team. Like I, I, I don't want the team coming back to me and saying like, oh, what do you think about putting it here? I, I, I want to kind of, sort of go, well, when, when did that went live? When, when? And, then, and then, you know, if, if there's something we have to iterate and we have to do the forgiveness asking around it, um, let, let's, let's do it. But I think you just got to be bold in what you're doing. Um, and I think it's, it's hard. Like, I think that's either a company culture you have or, or, or one that you don't. I think we've, we're fortunate or affinitive where we are empowered to, you know, to, to take those kind of calculated risks and move forward, really. So, um, yeah, I think just just be bold and just get things in front of, of, of customers, not stakeholders, but customers, users, as soon as you can. And um, and, and, and don't, don't miss the kind of strategy and concepting discussion with them. So don't just go straight to them with a the wireframe and go, would you like this? You know, because you, you've already missed the trick of understanding what their pain point is. You know, what, you know do, does the idea of a digital ecosystem work for you, Mr. Customer? And they were like, well, yeah, one place where I have one login to access everything you do. Yeah, of course, go and do it. So it's it's that we weren't going to them with like this is what our you know our self service site looks like. It was so don't 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 skip that step as well, and, and constantly challenge yourself to look back to why you set out to do what you did. Because I think when you get into it, like you know we're, we're trying to build an ecosystem, and you can almost get too head down or too focused on you know, one feature in one part of the ecosystem. So I think constantly sort of taking a step back and looking up and just ultimately making sure that what you do is aligning to where you're heading to, I think that's that's quite critical. Agreed. And I think you can create that kind of empowerment and culture in a large organization, in a small team as well. I think a lot of people are fixed to their organizational culture and they have mm. to work in that way. But this is a great example of where you've been successful in creating a, a new culture and now that culture has overtaken Refinitiv. Effectively, that is now the way we deliver technology at Refinitiv. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and I customer experience transformation. Uh, so thank you so much for talking to us today, David. No, thank you, and thank you for all of your help over the last couple of years. It's been a been a pleasure as well working with you and the team. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Never Mind the Pain Points. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app or site. We would love your feedback, so please leave a review or drop us an email at podcast at And for more information about us, visit our website, clarisys.com.